This is Man Down, the anti-man up movement with me, Jamie Clements. Join me as I speak to inspirational people from all walks of life about mental health, masculinity, vulnerability, and pretty much everything else. This is Man Down. I am incredibly proud to say that Man Down is brought to you in partnership with Better, a charity raising awareness around mental health and suicide prevention through a range of exciting events and initiatives. Please head over to www.better.org.uk, that's B-E-D-E-R, or find them on Instagram at better underscore UK. Today, I'm joined by Chevy Ruff. He's a well-being and performance specialist, public speaker and ambassador for men's mental health charity, Calm. After a decade of battling addiction, Chevy retrained as a coach in 2015 and now empowers people with the mindset and tools required for improving mental, physical and social health by helping them build a baseline of lifestyle choices that work alongside a busy, normal life. Chevy's helped a, a whole bunch of people, myself included, and I'm absolutely delighted to have him join me today. Um, so Chevy, thank you very much for being here, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's good to see your face again. We were just chatting offline about how we caught up last in in August time, I think it was. So yeah, it's good to good to have another chat. Uh, no, definitely, hundred percent, man. It's always, um, you know, the re- I think the reason always there's, there's a selfish reason and a selfless reason why I think we all do anything. Um, you know, selfishly, this all makes me feel good. You know, helping people, it feeds the ego. It makes me feel better about myself, blah, 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 blah. But the selfless reason is, is genuinely always watching people go full circle or, you know, unlocking the next level. So it was a real pleasure. I think you reached out and I was like, yeah, let's just jump on a call. We had a lovely chat for an hour, um, 45 minutes, an hour. And it's just always following people's journey, seeing them then kind of make the next step, the next step, the next step. And I know it's important for you to be in the conversation. So now for you now to be creating the conversation through this medium, and I know that you are doing a lot of other stuff as well. It is just so wonderful to see. So thank you for, because that's things like this that always, keep me on track and remind me what I'm doing when I'm like knee deep in spreadsheets or, you know, creative moments of locked away in rooms. It's, it's just wonderful. Thank you. Absolutely. No, my pleasure. Um, I just wanted to kick off. Obviously we're in pretty strange times at the moment. Um, I'm hoping people are going to listen to this and we'll be out of lockdown, but as of time of recording, we're still, we're still shut away with lots of vague announcements from the wonderful government but um how are you doing how's lockdown been for you how have you been coping what's what's new with you what's going on right it's um i think like a lot of us it's um you know i've been through i've been through the flurry of emotions i think i've i've managed to navigate my emotions quite quickly and my energy levels quite quickly just because you know it's what i do for a living so I, I, i like to think i've picked up my own toolkit um but it's been, I mean, it's, yeah, so it's been, you know, I called Black Monday, I think it was at the end of March, you know, I kind of, I'm, I was a face-to-face coach, public speaking, workshops, talks, I kind of had not really pivoted online too much, if anything, I was putting away from the online world or had been. So I think on that Monday, all my clients dropped out, all my future business dropped out, and I had just paid my tax bill as well. So it was kind of like cash in the bank was, was zero sum. So, and then obviously my wife, works very hard so that it was within our household there were a lot of instant challenges um but we navigated it firmly and and you know i there's a great thing when the human body is stressed it gives us all this resource to focus in on what needs to be done right it's like it's it, it literally provides this this wealth of resources and your ability just grows and and you know like for me it was just kind of channeling that you know it was pinpoint focus on what I needed to do to pivot my business it was pinpoint focus on um, what I needed to do to make sure my family could survive and we could get through it and I just used my resources it was you know 10 11 12 hour days working hard grafting but you know, I, I enjoyed it. So as a whatever waffly answer for you. So it was, yeah, mate, good. But there's been, you know, days of self-doubt, days of thinking I'm still an imposter and, and the new stuff that I'm creating, you know, doesn't deserve to be out there. And there's been lessons of learning how to do stuff by Zoom. There's been days where I've just not wanted to switch on the computer. 
I mean, days of frustration, days of, oh, but overall, really good. It's been lovely to spend time with my wife and I'm feeling things are steadying at the moment. So we're enjoying it. Good stuff. Yeah, I think that's definitely been an important one for, for people listening and people to remember over the course of this time is that there are lots of people out there, especially at the moment online, promoting a really positive, good message about how to help yourself, how to deal with stuff. But I think there needs to be that balance, right, of saying, this is, you can't always be good. There are peaks and there are troughs. And especially at the moment, you're going to feel that full circle of emotion. And you can't expect every day to be, you know, sunshine and roses when you're spending a lot of time inside your own head, right? Well, but you've just nailed it, right? So this is, hey, let's, you know, and this is a lot of what I've been doing is observing as opposed to trying, you know, I've been putting stuff out there, but I've been very conscious. Like, as I always say, whenever you're, whenever I'm working with private coaches or I'm working with organizations, the first thing that you need is an awareness of where you are before making change, right? Do you know what I mean? Like from an organizational point of view, like, well, what do your people actually want? Where are they? How stressed are they? How low are their energy levels? Like let's listen first and then let's start to move forward. And I think I kind of took that approach a little bit with how I was pivoting, which was doing more listening and just kind of understanding what was happening out there. And, you know, you've just kind of nailed it, which is I think what people didn't realize and what people have struggled to realize is that 20% of the calories we consume go to our brain, that chess masters can burn up to 6,000 calories in an average chess tournament. So, okay, let's understand that. What are those calories being used for? Because they're just sitting there. Well, their calories are being used to manage their thoughts, feelings, and emotions, and to be able to navigate the board three steps ahead. Hmm, what does that sound like? Right? Life right now. You know, and it's, it's, you know, energy is fundamental to willpower, to self-control, to keeping your emotions in check, to wearing a mask, to let your family know everything's okay when underneath you're really worried, right? Like, you know, we use energy to focus on this podcast right now where our field of vision is narrowed in, our nervous system is more sympathetic. Like we are constantly spending calories. And this is why, you know, suddenly in the last week, we're four or five weeks in, people are feeling exhausted. And I'm like, well, duh. True. You've been, you, you know, you've been in a marathon for the last month, you know, mentally, you know, and it, it, your, your physiological tank and your mental, your mental and physical tank don't, it's not two separate energy tanks. It all comes from the same place. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like, no, you know, of course you're tired. Of course you're knackered. Your body has, you've not been working from home. You've been working from home in a crisis. Mm. Right. And you've been spending a lot of energy and you're now in debt. So your body's just saying like, Hey, I just need to come out of performance mode. I need you to plug me in. I need to recharge so we can carry on going. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. I think it's something a message that I've I've seen you put out a few times now on online. It's just around when people are talking about exercise within the context of this situation as well. Like stress is stress. It doesn't matter what the stress is, emotional, psychological, physical that stress, right? Stress is energy and focus, right? It's from a very, and again, anyone who's listening, like I fully appreciate for those who may be struggling, financial pressures, financial stresses, health stresses, like absolutely like this, this might be a hard thing to hear, but, and there's a lot of gray area to this. And the reason I talk black and white is because the world of health and wellness can be so confusing that I like to just try and get to the point. And what I try and help people do is unlock energy, right? And because that energy will help them show up for loved ones, family, create new habits, create new routines, go to the gym, go for a run, start a new job, deliver a project, do a podcast, whatever it may be. Energy is fundamental to all of this. So if we want to understand energy, we have to understand stress because what happens is when our system is stressed, it starts to create more energy. The reason that I am breathing heavily right now is yes, because I'm talking, but also because my body's burning a little bit more through calories, right? And it's letting off CO2, which is the waste product. So you've got to understand like stress is a very physiological response, you know? So it's kind of like, people are like, well, and that's exactly it. People are like, well, you know, I haven't got the energy to go tra- run, run or start training or go into the park or create a new habit. And I'm like, yeah, no, of course you haven't. Because you've been burning through a load of energy dealing with the stress of the stimuluses of life right now. So be a little bit kind to yourself. When the world is saying create all these new habits and routines and time to start playing the guitar and do all this, like, let's go through a bit of adaption first. Let you, let's adjust to this new playing field that we're on, Right. Let's just get into some, some good habits and routines the best that we can to keep our head above water. And then let's start thinking about spinning some new plates down the line. You know, and I think that's, um, that's been, that's been a, you know, it's been a great, I mean, it's been, I've, I think for me, from a coaching perspective, how has it been? It's been really great because it's been giving me an opportunity to really help 
I've got people's attention. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like not in an arrogant way, like people have to understand. Before you can coach anyone, you've got to get their attention. And right now I can get people's attention through how they feel based upon the environment that they're in. And we can have a good, clear conversation about what's happening. And then they can go, oh, that makes sense. I'm not a failure. <laughs> I just don't understand energy. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I think as well, ties in quite nicely to another thing that, that I loved from you recently, just around environment and, and behavior and how our environment cues our behavior. And just this, this fact, you know, I'm speaking to a lot of people in the wellbeing space about, you know, how do we manage this? And how do we manage the fact that we're not commuting, that we're working from home, as, as you rightly said, working from home in a crisis, not just working from home out of choice. Uh, could you dive a little bit more into, into that sort of relationship between environment and behavior? Yeah, yeah. So, so people say to me, what's well-being? And I always say well-being is fundamentally everything related to your mental, physical, social, and environmental health. I'm just going to burp as I say that. Apologies. <laughs> and um, for me, you know, I think there's this, I think people are aware of it, but we get so stuck within ourselves that we kind of seem to think that the world stops at our skin right? Like that's it. But actually human beings are coupled to the environments that they're in, right? And environments cue behaviors. Our non-conscious mind, which FYI is pretty much the boss of what we do, is constantly reading the world around us. And then it's dictating what resources it's going to give us to navigate our environment, right? But it's also going to tell us what behaviors, feelings, and emotions we need. It's going to tell us basically what the hell we need to do based on the stimulus that we've got. And it understands this behavior through experience, right? Like being there before, having a good database, right? So for example, what do I mean? My two favorite examples is, right, how can we look at it? So if you've crossed the road and you've taken a step in front of the car and taken a step back without even realizing it, right? An automatic behavior, that is your non-conscious looking out for you. Like how cool is that, mm. right? You've got this, 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 this protector, this bouncer, you know, just there looking out for you consistently. And then another one, right? Okay, cool. Let's talk about how it cues behavior. Well, have you ever walked into a church before? What's the first thing that you do when you walk into a church and you talk to the person next to you? You whisper, right? So then we can start to understand that, oh my God, actually environment cues behavior. So then what happened is we have a load of people who they, uh, they had processes and systems and habits and routines that were cueing behavior of being focused at work, productive in the right kind of mode. Right. And that, that, that's a whole different thing. Like everything in the morning, from the moment you woke up, you was walking in the bathroom, you got in the bathroom, you, you the, the behavior of brushing your teeth is cued. And then that, that leads you to the next habit, which is getting dressed. And that starts to send signals that, okay, the, we know where the day's going right now. And you're putting your suit on and then you're getting on the train and the process of getting on the train is starting to prime you and get you ready for work and whatever. Then you go into the office and then you're kind of like, you're going to make your coffee and you have your little routine. So you think you just get up and roll into work. But actually, there is a series of steps and processes which is, is queuing you up to be able to do what you need to do. And you understand this. The reason you have the coffee or you like to go for that little bit walk between the stations is because you're setting your internal environment up. You're creating the state that you want to perform, right? So what happened is suddenly we got rid of all of that <laughs> overnight, right? It was like no longer you weren't any – I remember even sitting at your desk like – you know, lighting, sounds, smells, sights, like all these things are queuing up the non-conscious mind to say, now's the time to be focused, right? So for me, it was kind of like, okay, well, people were like, I'm just sitting down. I can't, because you're just, you're, you're, and I, I use the, uh, the stranger things analogy, which is just like, we were all living in the upside down. Yeah. Right. So then it was kind of, and it was, so it was like, right. So let's start looking at your, your, your social and your digital environment, your work environment, your home environment, and how can you start to create environments that cue the behaviors that you want? But I think it's important, first of all, to define what the behaviors are that you want that are associated to those environments. Right. So what, what behaviors do I want when I'm at work? Well, I want to be highly productive. I want to be focused. I want to be in my performance mode. I want to be able to go into deep focus without, you know what I mean? Like whatever it may be, right? Mm -hmm. But when I'm at home, I want to be relaxed. I want to be product. I want to be productive, but like a low level productive, right? I want to be more calm, right? I don't want to be so energized, right? 
and I want to be, and so I kind of like, you could, right, these are the behaviors I want, right, cool. Now, how can I attach sights, sounds, and smells to those behaviors? Does that make sense, dude? Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. makes complete sense. So, and that's the thing. So then, then you can start to like attack and even like digital, right? Like what is it I want from my mobile phone? What behaviors are my mobile phone currently dictating versus the behaviors I want it to dictate, you know? And that's an interesting thing as well. And then how can you create, how can you change your digital environments to cue the behavior? So there's all these things. That was it, just getting people to realize that, you know, okay. And that's, and the reason I go on about this is because like the world was every well-being and their coach and their mother, which all have great intentions. were telling everyone to set up a, a work desk, but no one was explaining why. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, let's understand yeah. the human, because once you understand and understand the why you're more likely to associate yourself to want to do it. So that was it. And then it was just understanding like what, what are small things that we can do, like actually putting mini commutes into either side of our day, like go for a get dressed, get ready, go for a walk for 20 minutes and then show up at work, i.e. your desk at home. And that is cueing the behavior. So it was kind of just playing around with these things and just getting people to understand that they're not failures. They just got to create some new habits and new behaviors. Yeah, exactly. And you know, now that you say it, I think people are probably aware of this in some capacity like I remember being at school and talking to people who dressed in their you know their smartest clothes to do things like exams because they get themselves into that headspace of being exactly. at school and it's it's exactly the same thing so I think it's just being able to break that down into one the situation we're in at the moment but moving forward just other situations about how you can prep your state to to cue that behavior that you want to see right so yeah, yeah I think so there's a lot of interesting stuff. Um, and I think probably from, from listening to, you know, the first part of this chat, people have, I reckon, got a pretty good idea of what you're all about, right? So um, what does, you know, outside of COVID and lockdown, but also inside, you know, you've had to adapt, but what does your work look like with people? You know, what is working with, with you? That's a good question. Um, you know, for me, I, I kind of always, I live by the strap line that I help people unlock the energy for more, you know, and it's, so it's, it's, you know, more energy and focus for loved ones at the end of a hard day. I'm not saying in equal measure because that's impossible, but you know, more energy for be able to better put into reading or going to the gym or more work if they want to, like, how can I people help people unlock energy? And again, I'm not talking about woo woo hippy dippy energy. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm talking about the fact that un energy underpins every single human behavior right? Willpower and self-control are a muscle that you deplete throughout the day that gets tired the more that you use it. So the better that you understand your energy, the more you can get out of that muscle, right? Struggle to go to the gym at the end of the day or eat well at the end of the day, that's because you've depleted that muscle. So let's understand energy and how that relates to that. So I suppose that, you know, that's kind of what I do and I help people do that. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a doctor. I don't have a PhD underneath my name. You know, as I say, I'm not a map maker. I'm on the journey with you. You know, I've, I've been through that. I've been through hell. I've, I've done it all. I've been to the lowest points, like, and I'm continuously practicing and learning myself. And for me, it's just basically, you know, I try and give people the tools. They don't need me, right? My ultimate goal is to get people off of my books within like three months if they're working with me. Mm -hmm you know, for, for, and I don't want to be your coach for medium to long term. You don't actually need a coach. You, your inside view and your ability to navigate the road ahead is phenomenally powerful. Everyone's feeling stressed and low right now. Well, do you know what? You've probably felt stressed and low in your life historically in the past, and you've been able to call on the resources and tools that you need to navigate those problems. So you've already demonstrated that you have the skills in life to create change but you just need to want to, you want to, you want to know how to access them right now. Well, let's understand the energy on how to do that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like, for me, that's the, that's the job that I do is it, I believe that everyone already has the tools that they need. I do some, I help people understand the principles of well being According to me, I help address a, a few mindset shifts just to get them thinking differently and to nudge them and to give them some shit Mind my French, <laughs> you know, and then I look at, you know, uh, habits and systems and tools and sleep and exercise and movement and anything but nutrition. I'm not the nutrition guy. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and then I send them on my, on their merry way. And I do that for individuals and, and organizations. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I try and do. Um, you know, whether I, whether I do it all the time is a different thing, but yeah, just creating different conversations. Yeah, absolutely. And where, where did this come from? How did you get into it? What, what, what turned you to, to what you are today? 
where did it start? I mean, that's a, it's a long old story. Uh, I'll try and get it. Dude, for me, I mean, I was, you know, I, I snorted a lot of cocaine and drank a lot of alcohol for, for kind of 13, 14 years of my life. Um, you know, I lived a different life working in a suit and, and in the corporate world and sales and so forth for, for well over a decade. And, I, you know, I was just, I was lost and in pain and, and, and unsure of who I was and, you know, a lot of imposter syndrome, a lot of abandonment issues. You know, my old man kind of walked out when I was uh, a young teenager. So just a lot of pain. And, and I, I navigated my way through, um, I'm 39 now. And I, so it was a plane just shooting overhead. So I was just no being quiet for a second. So I, I never, yeah, so I, I'm 39 now and I've got about 27, realized I needed to make change just because you realize you need to make change doesn't mean you have the tools to be able to make change. But I just, that day I woke up and thought, right, even if I keep failing, I'm going to keep moving forward. And every failure is going to be a lesson. And that led me to then picking up a pair of running shoes when I turned 30. And then I found a community through running, a global movement of running crews that gave me community that filled, filled the void of not going down the pub and friend, you know, like all my old friends and stuff like that. And then I got to like 33, 34 and, and that kind of movement, that journey, which FYI was not, you know, it wasn't all gold medals and PBs. It was a lot of injury, a lot of time off road, a lot of fighting myself and my body and my mindset. But I kind of, I did enough to be able to get clean enough to be able to access the cognitive resources to forgive my father, to let go, to navigate the pain and then disrupt my life, you know, and I think that's where movement or change can lead you to, you know, that's what I like. I said about, you, you know, I love seeing you go on this journey where you're creating this change. Um, and that did for me. And I, I kind of, I, I ended up quitting my old job in the city five years ago. And dude, there's a whole other story since, you know, I, I blagged my way onto the BBC within two years. I, I coached, I got a call from the BBC and said, you know, do you want to coach 10 people with mental health conditions to the London marathon? It was a roaring success. It was a two-part BBC One documentary. Nick Knowles, Royal Family were involved. And then, dude, like, when i kind of gone from drug addict to BBC One <laughs> in 18 months of my life and met my beautiful wife, which I was about to marry, at the peak of that, when the second airing of the episode, the second episode, sorry, the airing of the second episode went live on BBC One at the peak of being able to say, screw, screw you to all those people who ever doubted me. Cause you know, we all need that sometimes. Mm. Uh, I took my first antidepressant pill. <laughs> so at the peak of, at the peak of my, my so-called like the life I was fighting to build, I was actually at my lowest. Yeah. And, um, I can answer questions for you, but not to waffle on too long, but you know, that journey and exploring the physiology behind the psychology and my journey of coming off antidepressants. I'm not saying anything is wrong with being on them. They were a great trampoline to help me see into the next level, mm -hmm. you know, the next room. Yeah. And they, they, but, but that journey of going through that and that education, that learning led me to now where I am. And, and it was less about run coaching, which I never run coaching was like, for me, I was always focusing on the 23 hours of the day, not the hour that runners were running. That's what I first did when I left the city. Um, and that was it. And then I ended up moving in just to kind of, you know, what I do now. <laughs> A very long story. Long. Uh, I've, yeah, that's perfect. And um, I've, got, I've got some questions Good. for sure. Um, I suppose I wanna, I, I, I'd like to take it back to the city and to addiction and, and to kind of that the old you, the, the you of yesteryear for, for a, long, a long while back. What, what about that environment? And do you think it was that environment that drove you towards alcohol and drugs? Or do you think there was something a bit more to it in your own personality that put you there? Dude, it's everything, right? Like it wasn't, um, and I think this is, there's actually a really couple of interesting conversations there, but I think, you know, primarily the, the city wasn't responsible for me taking drugs. I was responsible for me taking drugs, right? Like, and I always made, it's like, you know, taking the ownership of it that, and I think that it, it became, it was, it was the perfect storm, you know? It was like, I rolled into the part that the city played was it just became the, the mechanism for me to self-destruct. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like the perfect formula for me to do that. And it played to all the insecurities that I had as a young man. It was like, you know, my dad 
walked out and left me and abandoned me when I was 12, 13, right? I never understood how to and had a male role model to guide me through how to hang out with boys in the playground. You know, I didn't know how to play football when everyone else did. I pretended I liked football when I didn't. You know, I started to wear a mask to try and fit in because I was kind of, I was always a bit different. I was Chevy Ruff, you know, it was like that name within itself carried weight walking into a room, mm-hmm. right? And so the, the alphas of the pack would challenge me all the time, but I would want their approval because I had abandonment and I needed to be loved. So I, I, I would wear a mask and I would lie and I would bullshit and I would pretend like, you know, my dad's this or I'm this or, you know what I mean? Like, or yeah. I would bullshit, right? Because I, I wanted you to love me. So I'm going to try and find how to get you to like me. I'm going to be a chameleon, right? So I did all that. So that was before I got to the city. Yeah. So then this young, lost young man rolls into the square mile. And this was guys like, and don't get me wrong, it's, it's the same now in so many ways. I still, I work with people and I see it, but this was the city 20 years ago again, right? So no talk of mental health, no talk of well-being. No, it, it was what it was. I think there was still smoking on trading floors or just quitting. You know what I mean? Like it was that kind of world still. And I was a young, impressionable 17, 18 year old. And I was working on a trading floor, stuffing envelopes. Let me make that clear. I wasn't, I was responsible for the credit crunch. I'm pretty sure of it. Like I was dyslexic. I didn't know what I was doing, but, and I, and I did that. And I, I went down the pub and they were like, you know, these men, and forget, I know I'm being really descriptive here, but it's, it's always important to people like the journey, right? And the, the, so these men were like, what do you want to drink? And I was like, I have an orange juice, right? And now they're, they're like, no, no, here's a pint of Stella, learn to love it. And remember at that stage, this was a young man who didn't know how to say no, who wanted people to like him and love him and accept him. So I just took, I, I started drinking, you know? And what I found is because I was so empty inside of stories and belief in who I was. And I was so focused on the extrinsic world as opposed to intrinsically what was going on. And I always felt like I wasn't worthy of being anywhere. Drinking gave me superhero powers. It gave me my identity within a pack. It made me confident. It made me funny. It made me dance on the floor when no one else would dance. It made me go and talk to these girls. It gave me superhero powers and people started to give me that. And I start to play that character. Yep. And then alcohol led to drugs because it's in the city and you can't, be a per- you can't work in the city and not be near cocaine. It's just there. And when someone offers it to you, I said, yes. So it, that's kind of, I know it's just, I think sometimes it's to break it down. It's like, that was, that was the relationship that, and how it was bonded, you know? And then I, like I said, for me, it just started to create identity and give me that identity. Um, and if I may, without waffling on too much, sure. I mean, it's an interesting thing here. I think, what people have to understand though is the, there is an element as well. So let's talk about for a human behavior perspective because people struggle to, I'm sure there might be people listening to this where, you know, I'd love to stop drinking or I'd love to stop doing drugs and I would love to stop, but I find it so hard. The, the interesting thing about the environment stuff from a behavioral point of view is one of the reasons that drug addicts reuse again is because they go back to the same environment and their environment cues behavior. The sights, sounds, and smells, right? So the, re- the, re- the way that I got clean, it was so hard saying I'd go to the pub and just have a couple. Because by the time I had half a pint, as soon as I walked into the toilets and smelt bleach, I would order drugs. Yeah. You get that, right? Like that's the non-conscious side of things, right? The automatic behavior. And for me, where I made change was, was finally, without realizing, I didn't know back then what I was doing, but I just realized that the environment wasn't healthy for me and I think then that's the correlation you kind of I know you kind of asked but yeah that's yeah that's that's it <laughs> yeah, absolutely absolutely and that I think I'd be uh, a fool not to touch on some of the stuff you mentioned there just around the alphas and the I suppose the masculinity of the not just the city 20 years ago but the city today yeah, man. and not even just the city society and like what for you in that environment what do you think even from earlier looking at school right what impact did did masculinity you know having not grown up in your your formative years with a a strong male role model what uh, what impact did that then masculine environments have on on your mental health on your your sort of well-being more generally 
I think it was, um, I mean, huge because it was, I suppose it's a really interesting question. I suppose it was a distraction, you know, it was always feeling like I had to be something I wasn't right. Like I, I didn't even understand, really understand the word masculinity, but it was like, well, what man am I, who am I trying to be right now? You know, well, um, I have to be a good, uh, I want to be, you know, I have to be a good man in, in the pack. Well, a good man in the pack is funny and strong and, and do you know what I mean? Like drinks a lot and does a lot of drugs. That was what my representation of a man in the pack was. So if I want to be like the, the number one, or if I want to be close to the number one, these are things that I have to do to be accepted. And I have to like football because everyone likes football, right? To be a man, you have to like football. I still can get in a taxi now. And if someone asks me what team I support, do I look football? I go into an automatic behavior of saying, yeah, Arsenal. I don't fucking like football. <laughs> right? I used to hate going to barber shops, And if they are, the first thing that they would ask is what football team? But I dare not say no. Now I laugh and I do, but you know, you dare not say no because you feel like, they can't connect. They just don't connect with you. As soon as you said no, they've tried to reach out and it's not there. So I think it was all these perceptions, these extrinsic perceptions of what a man is, you know? And it was then it was like, I should make money and I should have a watch and I should have a suit on. Or if I go to the gym, I should be lifting heavy weights. Or if I run, I should be running fast. So I think I had all these external influences telling me, what it was to be a man and no one actually guiding me on what a man actually is, right? Which is a great debate within itself, but there was just no one guiding me. There was no one just saying like, hey, actually, Sheb, all the shit you're benchmarking being a man on is just all very kind of like, you know, it's great stuff, some of it, but dude, you need to start looking internally. It's how you behave. It's how you, you know, it's, it's how you treat your mum, your partner, your friends right? It's about you listening to whatever it may be. Oh, this is an interesting chat, but yeah, so that was it. I think it was just, that was what it was. It was always living up to like what this, this vision of a man should be. Yeah. And you know, at what point, and I'm not expecting a, you know, September the 12th at 1242 PM, but at what point did you learn and you know, what helped you get comfortable with not saying, yep, Arsenal and not trying to fit in at what point did you say hey stop let's look inwards let's find out who who chevy really is and let's live that probably i mean there's, there's definitely stages to it which i know you you know you understand that i think i always tell the story of turning 27 and i remember reading an article about um a boy starts to turn into a man at the age of it was a bs article right but it just got me thinking and i was like i remember spending my 27th birthday by myself i got a tattoo on my arm on the day just because i was alone i'd been out for three days straight i'd messed up all my plans and it was kind of the moment or a time where i was like this doesn't feel right you know like i'm no longer part I, was, I wasn't part i wasn't doing drugs to be social i was doing drugs by myself in rooms you know it was like there was a it wasn't right so i started to think i started to think it started to become a conscious thought of what a boy to man is Mm -hmm. You know, and it was definitely became a conscious thought. And I suppose from there, my focus was really on trying to kick the drugs for, for many years after that and just trying to find some direction in life. And within that, I was always asking questions of myself and slowly piece by piece by bit, brick by brick was building up who I was and, and, and finding confidence in myself and belief. And I actually think the second bit was I found when I started running, I found a community called Rundem Crew. And Rundem Crew was a, life, uh, a crew of life's misfits that met up every Tuesday night, part of an international global running movement, crews across the world. you got artists, DJs, CEOs in there, me. You know, you just got like a whole, like, you know, all different shapes, sizes, colors, religion, ethnic backgrounds. And it was about community first. It wasn't about times and distance, about community. We used to meet up every Tuesday night and every Tuesday night was crew night. And we would do housekeeping like for an hour and celebrate each other and journeys and applaud. And, you know, Charlie Dark is a wonderful human being. And Charlie became a very, very dear friend and close mentor of mine. And I think the thing for me was I had found this place of positivity, right? And I'd found this, 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 this vehicle to help me create change and this community. And I threw myself into this community head first. 
I was so eager, right? I was, and again, it was still this like trying to be everyone's friend. And I actually pissed a lot of people off along the way. People liked me, some liked me, some didn't. I was always putting my hand up, trying to help, trying to be good energy. And people misinterpreted that or didn't understand it. And neither did I, because it was all just coming out of my pores. Do you know what I mean? Like it was like I was navigating. And what I realized was in a, in a, in a mini siloed a Petri dish of like 200 people who are your community and, and new family, half of them still didn't like me. I only knew a handful of them, right? Do you know what I mean? I was still pissing some people off. Some people I got on really well. And I kind of realized, oh, like that's just the way that life is. Not everyone is going to like you. <laughs> <laughs> It's a great realization, isn't it? <laughs> and that was it. And I was just like, oh, so I probably need to stop working so hard at being accepted by you. You know, and I need to, I always, I, at the time I was talking about like A friendships, B friendships, C friendships. Do you know what I'm like? You know, it was like, yeah. that was it. And I think that combined with meeting my wife and really focusing on showing up and being a good husband and man for her, like I wasn't going to get that wrong. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I was like, this is like, this is it. I'm going to get this right. So having that external motivator made me look at myself every day and every habit, every behavior, every, even now, you know, on days when I can't extend myself or I find it hard to communicate, like, no, no, my wife's first. Like I've got to look past this. It gave me um, a bigger reason beyond my own selfish or whatever behaviors. And I think having to go through that and just wanting to be a great husband made me really reflect and work through everything. And then over the last three, four years, it's become my job to understand human behavior. So, you know, it's you then you the amount you read and the volume you do, you've got no choice but to look internally. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I think, yeah, it sort of goes full circle back to what you were saying earlier, just like the first step in any kind of growth, personal improvement, personal development, whatever you want to call it, is that it's awareness, right? If you're not aware of the problem, you can't fix it. So the moment you become aware, you can, you might not fix things straight away, but you've taken the, probably the biggest step in, in moving towards some kind of improvement, right? And then the roadmap's actually really easy. Like people don't like, and this is the thing, like the, the, the thing that I like, I can keep educating myself. I can keep disrupting thought patterns and learning and all this, but ultimately I've got this supercomputer on top of my body that is so powerful. It is, it's got millions of years of genetics and lessons and magic and, you know, uh, your experiences all in there ready to access. But here's the thing. You have to understand the energy cord attached to the supercomputer, Right. Okay, what do you mean, Chev? Well, you've been sitting there focusing on your screen all day and you just, you can't, you can't, don't know how to navigate the problem or you've got, a, you've had a problem with a, a partner or, or, or someone and you've just been so tunnel visioned in on it that you can't see a solution. So what do you do? You, you actually listen to your inside view and you go for a walk, you stretch your legs, you go through the woods, you go for a walk down the beach and you suddenly find the solution. You think that's some psychological wishy-washy magic that's happened. That's your physiology responding to task and environment. You've shifted your internal chemistry. You've changed your chemicals inside you, right? You've, gone, you've shifted away and you've pushed back from your stress response. You've come away from fight, flight, or freeze into what we call more of a parasympathetic tone. When you're more parasympathetic, when you're more calm, you're more rested, you start to access the higher mind, your prefrontal cortex, Right? And that is where creativity, strategic thinking happens, you know, and that's, and that's it. And, and so it, for me, it's like, and this is what I said when I work with people is how can I just keep you accessing that higher mind? Well, let's understand the power core to that, because then if you can keep accessing it, you'll be able to start navigating, you know, through the challenges you've got. So, you know, for me, it's, I don't, I like to think there's no two, there's not a problem too big that I can't deal with as long as I keep dealing with my energy. Now, like if I say that there's no doubt I'm going to be challenged, but through my learnings of being challenged, you adapt, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You, you develop those tools, right? You have that ever, ever increasing toolbox of things you can call upon. Um, so just 
sort of moving through that that personal journey to you know BBC and Mind Over Marathon. And you said you know earlier in discussion that that, that was episode two, the first time you'd, you'd taken an antidepressant. So you've got yourself out of this old life and started moving forwards. How did we end up there? Um, dude, it was a combination of things. So it was, so give people context. Like I said, I, I, I got called, you know, I, I had retrained as a running coach, strength and conditioning coach. And I'd been doing that for about a year before I got called. So that was a, you know, a year of, changing my life, changing business. I was still, you know, there was times in that year I'd done some drugs and it wasn't a clean, clean break. You know, it was kind of like three months of, and then I would fall and then I would get back on the horse again. So I was still figuring out so, so much at the time and, you know, working all the hours that God sends, right? Like four in the morning, five in the morning, standing out in the cold and then coming home at 10 o'clock at night. And I got the call from the BBC and I jumped into the project and it was, it was basically five, six months of filming. We did 140 hours of final footage for a two-hour documentary, shifting around the country. And we've got to remember, this was, again, guys, you know, people need to context is that this was, a, this was when the sea change was happening around mental health, right? Like this was, this was when this was the heads together year and this was it, you know, the Royal family was starting to talk about it. This is when like companies were, it was really starting to make change, but going, and and the TV show played a big part in that. It played, it played its role. And here's the thing. So going into that, you had these 10 people who just were coming out about their mental health for lack of a better phrase. Right. But didn't know how the world was going to respond. So we had to deal with not only the challenges of training for a marathon, which even if you've got strong health is going to challenge your ability to keep your shit together over a few months, like it challenges, that's why it's a marathon, it's hard. And then you had all these people ranging from OCD through to deep depression, through to all these kind of things. So that the level of focus that I had to give to that project was tough. It wasn't about the running, you know, it was about so much more. And I got very close and very tight with these guys. And anyway, it got to like a couple of months off of the first episode. And the first episode was before the London Marathon. Then it was the London Marathon on the Thursday. And then they were going to put the second episode out on the Thursday afterwards. So it was all building up to like April, right? Like this crazy time. And about seven, eight weeks before that, a couple of months, my wife was like, you know, I was just suddenly, it was like I invested a lot and I was crashing. And plus I... I always knew that I had my own challenges, but I'd never really put terms on it. You know, I'd never really talked about it. So there I was identifying and getting closer to these guys by relating to them. And I'm like, hold on a sec. I'm talking about like, I've got depression. I've got social anxiety. So it was unlocking all these things. So anyway, I went to a therapist while we were filming and I locked, unlocked some, some pretty dark stuff that I was always kind of moving from. And, and, you know, there was a, and I'll say, cause I know this is, you know, I know what your, the focus of your podcast is today. So I think it's important to have this conversation. I'm, I'm an ambassador for a men's mental health charity called Calm as well. So I'm, I'm always leading with, with as much honesty and transparency as possible. But by going through therapy, I always realized the thing that I was running away from right? Why did I run so hard so fast? Why was I always running away from being sober, right? Like, why was I always moving jobs? Why was I always struggling to can't like relax on holiday? Why was I constantly moving? It was because if I stopped, I was going to have a conversation with suicide, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that, and that's why I came, you know, I always talk about this, um, Dylan Thomas poem, Rage, Rage Against the Dying of the Light. Do not go gentle into that good night. Sorry, Welsh, but guys, I probably plagiarize it. I, I do. It's my, but that, that poem saved me years and years ago. And I always thought about raging against the dying of light. And it was in therapy where I understood what that meant. <laughs> rage, rage against the dying of the light. And for me, that was this metaphor that I was running around with around suicide. Yeah. You know? So, you know, dude, to to get to the point, it was, I had that in therapy and, and it, and, and that's the importance. Like, I, I, I want to give this context. I think we've got space here to be able to give that context to you yeah. because now what I move into is the real black and white of what happened beyond that. So I did that. And I, so I started taking antidepressants because I was tired. I couldn't focus. I was lethargic. It was just not in a great place. And my therapist was like, we need to get you a, a boost. 
So again, let's have another co- man conversation. I was three months of getting married. Antidepressants yeah. don't do much for your sex drive, man. <laughs> right. Trust me, I know, mate. <laughs> yeah, right? Right? So, you know, this is a dude like it is, and that's the thing. And it's like, you're like, and I, I was old enough and confident enough at that point to be able to have that conversation with my wife and be okay in that. Yeah. Right? Do you know what I mean? Like, look, this is just the way it's like, it's just, I I swear it's the pills. (laughs) (laughs) This is hard work. I'm not old already, but it was, it was, you know, and that was it, but it just didn't, it just wasn't, you know, I was like, I'm not ready to be here, Mm. you know? And then also at that stage, I was obviously educating myself a lot. I was hanging around with some very great, coaches and organizations in the states and i was kind of looking at this what's the physiology before psychology you know what's going on underneath the hood here what are the other antidepressants that i own beyond this pill right walking is an antidepressant exercise an antidepressant breath antidepressant journaling antidepressants right for one in four people antidepressants don't work or something like that 20 percent or something it doesn't work it's like, I can't, you know, forgive me guys i plagiarize statistics but it's something along those kind of lines so for me, it was kind of, I started to explore this physiology before psychology. And within that, what I realized was that, yes, I had some gremlins to deal with, but actually my system was in a state of physiological chronic stress, you know, and it, it, it was stuck in first gear, yep. right? The city for over a decade doing drugs, quitting, starting a new business, working all the hours, jumping into TV documentary, filming the TV documentary, you know, and I had no understanding of rest and recovery protocols. I just knew stressed, you know, and I knew it was always being on and and utilizing that on. And so as I started to explore that, I started to then manage my physiology, which then started to unlock the psychology to move to the next level. Yeah, for sure. And I think we could have a, a whole nother hour on breath work and, <laughs> and yes, because that has been a powerful tool, certainly for me. And I'm sure for you too, has been uh, as a part of that physiological conversation is, is breath work, breathing, sympathetic, parasympathetic, anyone listening, there's great episode with James Dowler, who's top breathwork coach in London, go and go and give that a listen, but also just go do some breathwork and go, go learn how to breathe. Um, because it's super, super powerful. Awesome, Chevy. I'm um, just, I always like to finish off with a couple of like slightly more traditional quick fire interview type questions. Mm. Um, so I'm just going to fire two at you. Um, if you could have, so picture the scene, this is probably my favorite one at the moment. You're in Piccadilly Circus, staring up at the billboards, the, the flashing billboards up there above Piccadilly Circus. It's rammed. There's no more social distancing. It's beautiful. And you have been given the keys by whatever company runs it to put a quote, an image, anything you want on that billboard. What would you, what would you chuck up there? Just a big picture getting this guy. Yeah. <laughs> just, just your website. It's prime retail. It's just my face. <laughs> this guy. Uh, that's my crap sense of humor, people. Um, I think for me, it would, um, it would always be. I'm trying to. I don't, I'm still learning how to summarize this in a statement in one yeah. sentence. But it because it, it's always coming down to understand. You know, unlock energy, and you'll unlock more. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the biggest thing that I want to say to people is if you can start to understand the principles of energy and how that relates to human behavior, you will be more likely to create the change that you want in life. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's my eternal mission at the moment. So that's what I would love summarized on the billboard. Perfect. And another classic just around books and reading. If you had to... If you had to pick one, I can see your bookshelf behind you, or I imagine oh, probably the one I'm looking at. Yeah, that's the, that's probably, the easy one. That's yeah. the, the one I'm looking at right now. I'm like, here we go. If you had to pick one for people, always hard because it depends where people are in their journey um, and, and their approach. There is. 
if you are at the stage where you're really trying to understand behavior and you're there and you're present in your journey and you're aware and you want to just take it to that little bit of a next level, there's a book called Willpower by uh, Roy Baumeister. We forget Roy F. Baumeister. And, you know, I mean, this, this book has, has been read a, a dozen times. And that was the first time that I really looked at the science. And, and it's, it's not a sciencey book, but it talks about the science. Mm -hmm. And that's where I started to really understand that willpower and self-control are a muscle that depletes throughout the day. So the reason I can't choose, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't eat healthy at the end of the day. If I'm standing there in Tesco's and I've had a really stressful day, and I don't pick the good food for me, you know, and I think oh, I haven't got the willpower or the self-control. It's just because I don't understand the physiology behind the psychology. And I've been using my willpower to wear the mask to get me around life all day. Yeah. And it kind of helped me. It, it just, it really brought everything in-house for me, you know? And I think when you can start to harness willpower and self-control, because let's think about this, right? Self-control is the key to everything. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, it's a great book. Awesome. Thanks, man. And final one, little self-plug. If people want to find out more about you, where, where should they head? Where's, where's your platform? ChevyRough.com. Give that a go. It'll change today. It always changes every day. <laughs> uh, at, at, no, I'm on all major platforms at the Wellbeing CEO. So at the Wellbeing CEO. Catch me online. Always doing free webinars. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, here to help with any questions that people may have beautiful chevy it's been an absolute pleasure man thank you so much and uh having me yeah it's been it's been a whirlwind and uh, i hope people can take something away from this i'm sure they will pleasure brother thank you very much thanks man So that is it for today's episode of Man Down. Thank you so much for tuning in as always. Tune in every Sunday for the next episode of Man Down with our next inspirational guest. If you want to get in touch or if there's anyone that you think should be on the podcast, you can reach out directly on Instagram at jamie.clements underscore or by email on jamie at mandownpod.co.uk.